If someone followed you around on a consistent basis, what would their takeaway be? What would your conversations, actions, and priorities communicate to them? Welcome to the Radical with David Platt podcast, the latest sermons from teacher, author, and pastor David Platt delivered weekly. As always, you can find thousands of more gospel-centered, nations-minded resources over at our website, Radical.net. In today's message from Philippians chapter 4, verse 9, David Platt talks about what it means to live a life worthy of imitation. Like the Apostle Paul, we want those we influence to be consistently hearing God's word and becoming more like Jesus. Here's David Platt with a message from Philippians chapter 4 verse 9. I've just got to say from the beginning today, and I think I've I've said this most every week this summer, but I'm just in awe of how God is speaking directly to what we're walking through. Not just every week, every day, like reading through the Gospels this last week with the end of Mark, like good news, Jesus is not dead, he's alive, and that changes everything, and then Luke, the last few days, those chapters are so rich, and then Philippians chapter four, what we're studying together each week, and many people are are working to memorize today, we're going to close out this section Philippians chapter four, verses four through nine on anxiety in a week when people across our church received news that schools would not be starting in our counties this fall, leading to all kinds of questions and concerns and anxiety and worry about how this is gonna work and how you are going to work and how this will affect the economy and our lives and our country as this pandemic continues to have so many different effects in so many different ways and into the middle of this precise moment, unlike anything any one of us has ever experienced in this world, God's word is saying to us. So I want us to read it out loud together. Again, if you're memorizing it, just close your eyes. But wherever you are, let's read this out loud. And as we do, hear it as the word of God to us right now. Philippians chapter four, verse one. We'll go through verse nine today. This is the word of God. Let's say it out loud together. Wherever we are in this room and all kinds of places where we're gathered, literally around the world. Let's say it together. Therefore, my brothers whom I love and long for, my joy and crown. Stand firm thus in the Lord, my beloved. I entreat Yodia and I entreat Syntyche to agree in the Lord. Yes, I ask you also, true companion, help these women who have labored side by side with me in the gospel together with Clement and the rest of my fellow workers whose names are in the book of life. Rejoice in the Lord always. Again, I will say rejoice. Let your reasonableness be known to everyone. The Lord is at hand. Do not be anxious about anything but in everything, by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. And the peace of God, which surpasses all understanding, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, whatever is honorable, Whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, if there is any excellence, if there is anything worthy of praise, think about these things. What you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things and the God of peace 
will be with you. Oh God, help us to understand your word to us right now amidst everything going on around us. So let's just, let's just put this out on the table. As people in the middle of a pandemic, we are anxious about many things. Like we're anxious about many things as people in life in general. We talked about this last week. We worry about our lives, our families, our future, about finances, about jobs, about school, about health. We worry in our own thoughts. We worry about what others think. We worry about ourselves. We worry about others. And that's just life in general. So then you throw on top of all of that a pandemic where everything is out of sort with our lives, families, finances, jobs, schools, health, so much unknown about the future. And worry, anxiety just goes to a whole nother level. And it can be so overwhelming intellectually, emotionally, even spiritually. We are anxious about many things. We live in anxious times and into the middle of this, God is saying to our hearts, like right now, God is saying to us, don't be anxious about anything. Like we just read it. Do not be anxious about anything. Thing. So how is that possible in the middle of a pandemic when you don't know what to do with your kids at home all day? When you don't know what to do when you need to work? When you don't know how finances are going to come through or what the future holds? When you're walking through all sorts of other challenges in life and health and family, how do you have peace that surpasses all understanding in everything? Like some of you, many of you are like, I'm just not feeling peace that passes all understanding right now. And this is where I want you to see what God is saying to us today, what God has been saying over the last few weeks that we've seen in this section of Philippians chapter four, not by coincidence. Like God loves us so much. He is speaking so clearly to us right now. So I wanna summarize in the next few minutes what we're hearing from God in this part of Philippians chapter four, capping off today with verse nine. I wanna summarize what God is saying with four words of encouragement and two promises for every single person in this room and every single person listening wherever you are right now. So you might write these down. I want to offer these words of encouragement for your life. I want to make them as memorable as possible so that you can remember them tomorrow or later this week or next week or next month. Whenever you are tempted to worry or be anxious about anything. So I sometimes think acrostics can be kind of cheesy, but if they're memorable, I think they can be helpful. So today, I want to give you an acrostic. Stop. S-T-O-P. That you can have in your mind as soon as an anxious thought comes into your head. As soon as you feel any sense of worry, I want you to be able to stop, to pause and do these four things, S-T-O-P. And when you do these four things, I promise you, based not on my own authority, but on the authority of the word of God, I promise you that two things will happen. So let me go ahead and give you the promises from the beginning as motivation to listen really closely to these four words of encouragement. So here's the two promises we're gonna end with today. When you do these four things in this acrostic stop, you will, one, experience the peace of God. When you do these four things, you will experience an otherworldly peace that surpasses all understanding. You will experience the peace of God in your mind, your heart, your life, and second promise, you will know the God of peace. You'll not just experience this gift of peace from God, you will know God, the giver of peace. And not just know him, but enjoy him. 
and be secure and satisfied in him and by him. So if you want those two realities in your life, you want to experience the peace of God and know the God of peace in a pandemic and in whatever else you're walking through, then remember these four words of encouragement, S-T-O-P. Whenever you begin to have an anxious or worried thought, pause and S. Seek God in prayer about everything. Seek God in prayer about everything. Like this is straight from God in verse six in Philippians chapter four. Do not be anxious about anything, but pray about everything. So in order to be anxious about nothing, pray about everything. Seek God in prayer about everything. Martin Luther said, pray and let God worry, which he won't because he doesn't have to. And for those who are his children, you don't have to either. This is exactly what Jesus tells us when he's talking about worry in Matthew chapter six, right? Matthew chapter six, verse 31. Therefore, do not be anxious. This is straight from Jesus saying, what shall we eat or what shall we drink or what shall we wear? Like, how am I gonna do this? How's this gonna work? What's the future hold? Don't ask these things. For the Gentiles seek after all these things, And your heavenly father knows that you need them all. What do you do? But seek first the kingdom of God and his righteousness. And all these things will be added to you. Therefore, do not be anxious about tomorrow. For tomorrow will be anxious for itself. Sufficient for the day is its own trouble. Oh. Like this is worth a, a short side note here because that last part in this section of Matthew chapter six is a game changer in the battle against anxiety. Like God guarantees, don't miss what Jesus is saying here. God guarantees mercy today for challenges today. And God guarantees mercy tomorrow for challenges tomorrow. But God doesn't give mercy today for challenges tomorrow. Now, today's mercies are designed for today's burdens. Tomorrow's mercies will be sufficient for tomorrow's burdens. And anxiety, worry so often comes when we are focused on tomorrow. Like we worry thinking, how am I gonna make it through the fall with my kids doing virtual school? I'm going to make things work financially in August or September or October or November or December or next year. What's going to happen with schools? What's going to happen with the economy? When is a vaccine coming? How is all this going to affect my life or my family in this way or that way in the future? And it's not unwise to think about the future. There's certainly wisdom in planning for the future as best as we can. But when you think about the future, particularly when there are so many unknowns in it, stop and realize, one, that God holds the future in his hands, and two, God promises to give you new mercy in August, new mercy in September, new mercy in October, November, December, next year. God promises that his mercy will always prove sufficient for you in every new day. Which means, so follow this, this means that you don't have the mercy today that you need for August, September, October, November, next year. You know why? Because it's July 26th. And God is giving mercy today for July 26th. And God promises you will have mercy for July 27th tomorrow. And new mercy for July 28th and for August, for September and so on as each day comes and whatever each new day brings. And believing this is critical. Maybe in some sense the key to fighting anxiety. Realizing that what you need today is not strength for tomorrow. Don't worry about tomorrow, Jesus says. 
Instead, live in the mercy God gives you today and believe new mercies coming tomorrow and that mercy will be sufficient for whatever tomorrow holds. Like how can you not be anxious about tomorrow? Here's how, by believing that new and sufficient mercy from God is coming your way every single day for all that day holds, which is why, so now go back to this S, we seek God in prayer about everything. Like God, I don't know how to make it through this fall or this week because of this or that concern I have, but right now I'm gonna stop and I'm gonna lift all this to you in prayer. I'm gonna stop and pray for you to specifically help me, this person, in this way, that way, Asking for your help specifically in my life, in my kids, in my family, for my friends, for this need or that need, in this situation, that situation. I'm going to pray that, I'm gonna, and I'm going to trust that as I pray, your mercy is going to be made known in all these different ways. When you begin to experience anxious thoughts or worry, immediately stop and seek God in prayer about everything that's on your mind. I just start there. That's S. Then T then trust God through prayers of thanksgiving. So this is so important in both Matthew chapter six and in Philippians chapter four, to trust God through prayers of thanksgiving. We saw it in Philippians chapter four, verse six, do not be anxious about anything, but in everything by prayer and supplication, with thanksgiving, let your requests be made known to God. So why with thanksgiving? The answer is because worry or anxiety. So if you remember, for those of you who worshiped with us the first Sunday after the shutdown began, we defined worry and anxiety biblically. We talked about how there are a variety of different definitions of anxiety in the world, including clinical, medical anxiety with all kinds of physical symptoms. But biblically, we saw that worry or anxiety is carrying concerns in this world in such a way that we either lose perspective on life or we lack trust in God. So how do we keep perspective on life and live with trust in God? And Philippians chapter four, verse six is saying express thanksgiving to God, which is the same thing Jesus said back in Matthew chapter six, verse 26. We looked at this last week. When Jesus said, look at the birds of the air that neither sow nor reap nor gather into barns and yet your heavenly father feeds them. Are you not of more value than they? And the answer is yes. You are more valuable than the birds of the air. So as you begin to worry or be anxious, like stop, seek God in prayer about everything that's on your mind and trust that God loves you and God will help you. Trust that God will give you everything you need. And we're gonna see this even more starting next week. So Philippians 4 is only gonna get better. So stop and thank God for all of the ways he loves you, he cares for you, he promises to help you as you lift up your needs to God going into this week, going into this fall. Thank God in advance for the mercy that he's promised to give you. Like instead of worrying about this fall, thank God that he is going to lead you through this fall. Instead of worrying about the future, Thank God that he holds the future in his hands. Instead of worrying about what we don't know, thank God for the promises that we do know. Instead of worrying about what you don't have, thank God for all the grace you do have. Trust God through prayers of thanksgiving. Like God, I thank you, we thank you right now that COVID is not in control. Are you thankful for that? God, we thank you that our security is not dependent on our economy. Our security is dependent on our king. 
God, we thank you that you hold our lives and our children, our loved ones in the palm of your hands. God, we thank you, you hold our breath in the palm of your hands. God, we thank you for your promises to be with us, to lead us, to sustain us, to satisfy us, to guide us, to provide for us every day. And as we express prayers of thanksgiving like this, do you know what begins to replace worry in our hearts? Faith. Trust the realization that we don't have to worry because we have a good God, a great God who promises to give us every single thing we need for every single moment we face. I stop, seek God in prayer about everything and trust God through prayers of thanksgiving. Then, oh, open your mind to that which comes from God. Open your mind to that which comes from God. So I'll come back to this in a minute if you're still writing it down. But this is what we talked about last week. We read it just a moment ago. Finally, brothers, whatever is true, Whatever is honorable, whatever is just, whatever is pure, whatever is lovely, whatever is commendable, there's any excellence, anything worthy of praise, think about these things. So, the way I'm summarizing true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, praiseworthy is by saying that which comes from God. So, to stop in your thinking and just ask, is this thought that I'm having, does it come from God? Does this thought that I'm having originate in him? Is this thought honoring to him? Is this thought worthy of praise before him? And if not, then remove it from our minds, like close our minds to that kind of thinking and open our minds to that which comes from God. We talked about this last week, how the battle for peace and joy and gentleness begins in our minds between our ears for what you think determines how you live. I want to show you this connection here now in verses 8 and 9 as we add verse 9 this week. So the Bible's telling us how to have perpetual joy and gentleness in any circumstance that surpasses peace. Said in verse 8, it all happens. You want to have joy, gentleness, and peace? Then you think about these things. So you think about things that are true, honorable, just, pure, lovely, commendable, excellent, and praiseworthy. And then, so you've got this phrase, think about these things in verse eight. Then you get to verse nine, and it says, what you've learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. So there's thinking in verse eight, and there's practicing in verse nine. Transformed thoughts that lead to a transformed life. And it starts with opening our minds to that which comes from God, closing our minds to that which does not come from God. So let me give you a picture of this in a way that I hope may be, yeah, extremely helpful, practical, potentially even just life-changing way to think about this. So I want you to picture this like four concentric circles in our lives. I'm gonna draw it out here, then I wanna show you this uh, two places in the Bible. So at the core of our lives, let's look at it this way, is a decision about who or what we are going to worship. So I'm gonna write worship here in the very heart. So either we worship God or ourselves or other things that we put in the place of God. And who or what we worship then affects how we think. So we'll put in the next circle here our thoughts. So if God is on the throne of our hearts, then our thoughts will be driven by God, which is praiseworthy before him. If we are on the throne of our hearts, then our thoughts will be driven by ourselves, what seems good to us. If some other God, say money, is on the throne of our hearts, then our thoughts will revolve around money. If our reputation is what's most important to us, then our thoughts will revolve around what helps boost our reputation. We could go on and on with examples, but who or what we worship determines how we think. 
then how we think affects what we desire. So we'll put in this next circle, our desires. So if we think God is good, then we will desire more of God and what he says is good. If we think our ways or the ways of this world are good, then we will desire the ways of this world or our ways. Again, go back. If, we, if we're consumed with thinking about money, then we'll desire more money. If we're consumed with thinking about what others think about us, then we'll be, we'll be focused on what, what is gonna help others think a certain way about us. Then those desires affect our actions. So in this way, and this is what we saw last week in Philippians chapter four, verse eight, how you think determines the way you live. Now we're seeing it even clearer with this connection in Philippians chapter four, verse nine, what you think determines how you act, how you live. Now, let's, let's kind of test this picture biblically and see, okay, is this really what the Bible teaches? Let me, let's go to two places. The first is Romans chapter one. So we'll start in verse 21 of Romans chapter one. I'll put it up here uh, where the Bible is teaching us about sin in our lives. And I want you to notice where sin starts. So talking about sinful men and women, the Bible says, follow this, for although they knew God, they, neither, they did not honor him as God or gave thanks, give thanks to him, but they became futile in their thinking and their foolish hearts were darkened. Claiming to be wise, they became fools and exchanged the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and birds and animals and creeping things. So did you hear that? Like where does sin start? It starts in a heart that does not honor God or give thanks to him. And a heart that exchanges the glory of the immortal God for images resembling mortal man and other things. So that's worldly worship. I think that's not showing up on the screen there. Okay, we'll put it down here. That's worldly worship worship okay so that's worship where we've replaced God on the throne of our hearts with someone something else which leads to worldly thoughts okay they became futile in their what thinking claiming to be wise they became fools so Worldly worship leads to worldly thoughts. Let's see where it goes from this. Romans 1.24 says, therefore, so in light of, see if it shows up at the top here. Barely. All right, here we go. In light of worship that, that is centered around the world that leads to worldly thoughts. So therefore, in light of this, God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves because they exchanged the truth about God for a lie and worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is forever blessed, who is blessed forever, amen. So did you see that? Worldly worship led to worldly thoughts which led to worldly desires. God gave them up in the lusts of their hearts to impurity, which then led to what? To the dishonoring of their bodies among themselves, worldly actions. So then, and then it comes back to the core, why do they have these worldly desires and act in this worldly way? Because they exchange the truth of God for a lie, it's worldly thoughts, and they worshiped and served the creature rather than the creator who is blessed forever. That's worldly worship. So don't miss it. Sin with our bodies, like worldly actions, these actions have a root in worldly desires and worldly thoughts and worldly worship. So sin starts, don't miss it, when we open up our minds to things which do not come from God at the center of our lives. Let me say that again. Sin starts when we open up our minds to things which do not come from God at the center of our lives. Let me show you one other example of this. So... 
We looked at this last week in Genesis chapter three, the first sin in the world. So if this is the way sin actually works, we would certainly expect it to see it there. So let's look at this and hang with me here because if this, if what I'm showing you right here is true, this has massive implications for your life, for your parenting, for your relationships with other people, for your understanding of the world. So follow this, Genesis chapter three. Let's see if these concentric circles play out here. Now the serpent was more crafty than any other beast of the field that the Lord God had made. He said to the woman, did God actually say you shall not eat of any tree in the garden? And the woman said to the serpent, we may eat of the fruit of the trees in the garden, but God said you shall not eat of the tree that is in the midst of the garden, neither shall you touch it lest you die. But the serpent said to the woman, you will not surely die, for God knows that when you eat of it, your eyes will be opened and you will be like God, knowing good and evil. So when the woman saw the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise, she took of its fruit and ate. She also gave some to her husband who was with her, and he ate. So what's the action here? She and her husband took of the fruit and ate. Oh, it's not showing there. Okay, that says action. Sorry. Action. So that's what they did. They took of the fruit and ate. But don't miss the root. That worldly action was based in worldly what? Desire. She saw that the tree was good for food, that it was a delight to the eyes, that the tree was to be desired to make one wise. Worldly desires that were grounded in worldly thinking, a lie from the devil that said God and his word are not good, and they believed it. So what did they do? In their worship, they took God off the throne of their hearts. They put themselves in the position of thinking that their thoughts were better than God's thoughts, which led to desires to do that which was against God's word, which ultimately led to action eating a piece of fruit. So the whole point, again, in showing this is to see the root of sin. Like it wasn't when they ate a piece of fruit. It was when God was not on the throne of their hearts and affected the way they started thinking about him him and his word and their lives that led to desires that led to action. So what we allow into our minds, what we open up our minds to, what we think about affects determines how we act, how we live. So consider the massive implications of this in so many different ways. Like when you struggle with sin, come back to these circles, whatever sin might be out here in your life, when you struggle with sin, don't just look at the action you are taking, the thing you are doing, the words you are speaking, whatever it might be. Look at the root Look at the root, like Romans chapter one, sexual immorality with our bodies starts with not living for the worship of God and thinking that in doing this, looking at that, whatever it might be, that we'll be satisfied. So that's what we start to desire and so we act. So how do you stop that action? by being transformed by the renewing of your heart and mind at the core of who you are. Like, think about all your efforts to combat sinful actions in your life in this way. Until you address what is going on in your heart and mind, then you will only be putting a Band-Aid on a broken limb because you will be ignoring the root of any sin, not just sexual immorality. And then think about the implication, not just in our lives, but for helping others avoid sin. I think about parenting. When my child does something wrong, if all I say is, don't do that, then I'm not helping them near as much as I would be helping them if I sit down and say, why did you do that? And help them to see the root of their action in desires and thoughts and ultimately, a heart that's turning aside from God in that moment. And this is not just for parenting. 
as the church, as we help each other grow in Christ, as we help each other turn from sin, let's help each other identify the heart, the thoughts, the desires at the root of the things we struggle with. Now, bring all this back around to stopping anxiety and worry. Anxiety and worry happen when we forget that God is on the throne of our hearts and our lives and the world around us. And we begin to think thoughts that are not true or honorable or just or pure or lovely or commendable or praiseworthy, which spirals downward into unhelpful emotions of despair and distress and discouragement which lead to unhelpful actions in all kinds of ways, from being short or harsh with the people around us to missing out in so many ways on the abundant life and the great things God has for us. And the key to, the key to fighting this battle is stopping, like pausing and opening our minds to that which comes from God. That's why O is critical in this whole picture. So stop, seek God in prayer about everything. Trust God through prayers of thanksgiving. O, open your mind to that which is from God. This is where the battle is raging. And then P, practice the word of God. Practice the word of God. That's the exact language we have in Philippians chapter four, verse nine. Remember, think about these things in verse eight, verse nine, practice these things. Practice these things. And it makes sense in light of what he just said before this in verse nine, whatever you've learned, received, heard, and seen. So what we learn, what are we supposed to, what was supposed to happen when we learn? We do what we learn. We apply what we receive. We obey what we hear. We follow what we see. I can I just point out the obvious? Like if you hear this message, this word from God in Philippians chapter four, and then you don't do it, you don't stop and do these things, then this message, this word from God will not do you any good. It's exactly what God says in James chapter one, verse 22. Be doers of the word, not hearers only, deceiving yourselves. For anyone is a, if anyone is a hearer of the word, not a doer, he's like a man who looks intently at his natural face in a mirror. For he looks at himself and goes away and at once forgets what he looks like. But the one who looks into the perfect law, the law of liberty, and perseveres being no hearer who forgets, but a doer who acts he will be blessed in his doing. Like if you hear these words of encouragement for fighting anxiety and you think, well, that was helpful, then you don't actually stop and do these things when you begin to think anxious or worrisome thoughts, then you are deceiving yourself and you will miss the blessing of God. And not just you, but others. There's a powerful word here back in Philippians chapter four, verse nine, for and we can spend a ton of time here, we won't, but this is so important because Paul's not just saying what you've learned and received and heard and seen in Jesus or in God's word, practice these things. Paul just said what you have learned and received and heard and seen in me, practice these things. That's a bold statement, isn't it? And whatever you see me doing, do those things and the God of peace will be with you. And he just so I actually said a few verses before this in the end of Philippians chapter three, something very similar. He said, brothers, join in imitating me. That's a bold statement to say to somebody else, just imitate me. Paul's saying to these Christians, just do what I do, which might sound arrogant until we put this together with what Paul said in 1 Corinthians chapter 11, verse one, when he said, be imitators of me as I am of who? Of Christ. 
So what Paul is saying is, I want so badly for you to follow Christ that I will do everything I can to show you what that looks like in action, such that if you live like me, then you'll be living like Jesus. And it's not just Paul. Back in Philippians 3, 17, Paul says, brothers, join in imitating me and keep your eyes on those who walk according to the example you have in us. In other words, focus your eyes on people who are living like Jesus and become more and more like them and the process become more and more like him. So I've got to at least just pause at this point and ask every single follower of Jesus a question based on Philippians 4.9. Is your life worthy of imitation by those around you? If other people follow your life, will they be following Jesus? Students, teenagers, children, like is this a way you would describe your life? This is what Paul said to Timothy. Let no one despise you for your youth but set the believers an example in speech, in conduct, in love, in faith, in purity. And single brothers and sisters, is your life worthy of imitation, just abandoned to God and his purposes? Husbands, wives, is your life worthy of imitation such that if a husband or a wife were living like you are, they would be following Jesus in a way that totally honored their spouse. My parents, is your life worthy of imitation by your kids such that if your kids walk with Jesus like you walk with Jesus, they will be experiencing deep, true intimacy with Jesus. I was reading this week about John Patton. He's one of my favorite people in history. He was one of my favorite biographies. John Patton took the gospel to a never-before-reached cannibalistic people on this remote island, and today that island is 94% Christian. And his story, it's amazing. I highly recommend his biography. There's all kinds of things I could say about him. But this week, on two different occasions, I found myself reading about the influence of John Patton's dad on his life. So James Patton. And John Patton talked about how his dad had a room in the house that his family knew whenever their dad went into that room. He was meeting with God. They could hear him praying from outside the room. They would occasionally walk in, just see him on his knees before God. He talked about how his dad would gather his kids around the family room. They would kneel to pray together. And his dad would just pour out his soul and please to God for provision of their needs, and tears for people to come to know Christ. He talked about how the family would walk together four miles to church every Sunday. And in 40 years, John Patton could remember three times that his dad missed church. Once because of snow, once because of ice, and once because of a cholera outbreak. And you might think that walk would lead to a lot of complaining among the kids. But Patton and his 10 siblings said their dad made going to church a joy because they saw such joy in him. He talked about how his dad would read the Bible to them, would teach them what it means around their dinner table, and show them what it looks like in practice. So dads, like, let me just ask you, if your kids, well, maybe just ask in the most simple way possible. Like, what are your kids seeing in you about what it means to follow Jesus? If your kids live just like you, will they be following Jesus with all their hearts? And God has entrusted you, me, us as dads with the responsibility to show wives and children how to follow Jesus and they will not be what they cannot see. 
And not just dads, moms. We've mentioned the reality of kids being home from school. Again, I don't presume to know all the challenges that will bring, but I do want to encourage you, mom and dad, don't underestimate for a second the value of more time with your children this fall. More time for them to see in you the spirit of Jesus, the life of Jesus. There is nothing more valuable for our children than for them to see Jesus in us. And obviously this is not just kids and parents, for all of us in the church. Let's each ask the question, like if our family or friends or neighbors or coworkers or group members live just like us, will they be following Jesus with all of their hearts? Let's take responsibility for showing others what the life of Christ looks like in action. This is what it means to be a Christian, to follow Jesus in such a way that we're leading others to Jesus. All this is P, practice the word of God. And when we do these things, when we stop and seek God in prayer about everything, trust God through prayers of thanksgiving, open your mind to that which comes from God and practice the word that you have learned and received and heard and seen. When you do these things, this is straight from the mouth of God, here are the two promises. One, you will experience the peace of God. You will experience this peace. Verse seven, the peace of God which surpasses all understanding will, this is a promise, will guard your hearts and your minds in Christ Jesus. You will experience the peace of God when you pray about everything with thanksgiving and you think about these things and you practice these things. This is a promise. You will experience otherworldly, all-surpassing peace from God, and and you will know the God of peace. Philippians 4.9, the God of peace will be with you. This is so awesome. You will not just receive a gift from God, peace. You will receive the gift of God himself. God himself will be with you as your peace. This is the gospel. This is what Jesus makes possible. We have all sinned against God. We're separated from God, from his peace, from his joy, from his life. If we die in the state of separation from God, we will experience eternity separated from his peace and joy and life. But God loves us. God has sent his son Jesus to die for us so that we put our faith, our trust in him. We're reconciled to relationship with God, to know him and to walk with him and to experience his peace and joy and life. You and I, through faith in Jesus, have been reconciled to God himself. The God who says, so I'll close here, just summarize what we've seen in Philippians 4, 4 through 9. In a world where we are prone to anxiety and worry, you and I, when we trust in God in all the ways we've seen, we stop and we do these things, we will know the God who says, I guard your heart and I guard your mind. Like I care for you. I will take care of you. I will protect you. Trust me. Jesus said in Matthew 6, you're worth more than the birds of the air, the lilies in the field. You can trust me to care for you, and not only to care for you, but to carry you. I will be with you. God's not just saying you have my peace. God says you have me with you. As you look forward to a fall and a future of unknowns, the God of peace says, I care for you, I will carry you, and ultimately, here in Philippians 4, the God of peace, remember what it said all the way back in verse 5, beginning of this passage, the Lord is at hand. In other words, the God of peace says, I am coming for you. And there's coming a day when this world with all of its worries will one day pass away. 
There's coming a day when there will be no more worries and no more anxiety and no more pandemic and no more pain and no more unknowns and no more sorrow and no more sin and no more death for our God is coming for us. One day the temptation to worry or be anxious will be no more for we will dwell forever with God in everlasting worship and eternal security. And that is good news. So let's pray. Will you bow your heads with me? Will you bow your heads with me? I just, I want to ask every single person right where you are right now, head bowed, eyes closed, just between you and God, I just, I want to ask you, do you know the God of peace? Like, have you been reconciled to God through faith in Jesus? Do you know that if you were to die today, like you know you would experience his eternal peace with him in heaven because you've trusted in Jesus. And if the answer to that question, I know many listening right now, the answer to that question is like, maybe or no, I don't know God in this way. Today you can. I invite you, just where you're sitting right now, just to pray in your heart and say, God, I want to know you. I want to know your peace and your joy and your life. Just confess to God the sin that separates you from him. Just say to God, God, I know I've sinned against you. My thoughts, my desires, my actions, I've put other things, namely myself on the throne of my heart, but today, I'm believing that Jesus died to forgive me of my sins. And today, I want to trust you on the throne of my heart. When you place your faith in Jesus, when you call out for the forgiveness of your sins, God says exactly what we sang earlier. My salvation is yours. I will save you from your sin, draw you to myself so you might know forever. Oh. God, I, I pray for people to, to trust in Jesus today in this way. And God, I pray for all kinds of men and women, students, children who have trusted in you. God, I pray that you'd help us this week and this month and months to come amidst all the unknowns. Help us to stop. Help us to seek you in prayer about everything, to trust you through prayers of thanksgiving, to open our minds to that which comes from you and to put into practice your word. And we trust that we will experience your peace that passes all understanding and we will know you experience your presence with us. All glory be to your name for otherworldly peace, for reconciliation to you that will last forever, that gives us a rock, a cornerstone to cling to in the middle of a very uncertain world. In Jesus' name we pray, amen. Well, thanks for joining us today on Radical with David Platt. If you would like to download the free discussion questions that accompany this sermon and every sermon, you can get those at Radical.net. And while you're there, feel free to browse through resources on similar topics as today's sermon, like evangelism and making disciples, lordship and obedience, and spiritual growth. We pray that wherever this podcast episode finds you today, we pray for health, for courage and for faith to navigate this tough season, not only here in the United States, but around the world. May God's grace be with you all in our radical community. That's all for today's episode. I'm your host, Thomas Bowen. And until next time, join us there at radical.net.